Are you tired of using bulky old wallets, giving you a bulge where you don't want it to be? My old wallet was massive, so it brought all the ladies to the yard, which was a huge distraction and got in the way of my esteemed work on trigonometry. Ridge wallets have an incredible solution for you. This is mine, sleek, stylish, and with an industrial look to it. It can fit 12 cards with cash on the back using a clip like this one or a strap. We've got one for the whole team. I've got one, Francis has one, even our producer Anton has one, but he's from Liverpool, so he flogged his on the black market. The great thing about Ridge is that they give you a lifetime guarantee, which means if you want, you can have only one wallet for the rest of your life. Ridge are so confident in the quality of their product, they will give you 45 days to test drive their wallets. That means you can get the wallet, use it, and if you don't like it, you can return it within 45 days. Because Ridge is such great guys, they're gonna give you 10% off and free worldwide shipping and returns. To take advantage of this incredible offer, go to ridge.com forward slash trigger. That's ridge.com forward slash trigger and use our special code, which is of course, trigger. Hello and welcome to a very special live episode of Trigonometry. I'm Francis Foster. I'm Constantine Kissin. And this is a show for you if you want honest conversations with fascinating people. Our brilliant guest today is a Canadian lawyer who's been covering the Canadian Freedom Convoy and the trucker issue very, very well over the last few weeks. A lot of you have asked us to bring him on. So please, with no further ado, welcome Viva Fry, David. Good to have you. Thanks for coming on. Gentlemen, thank you for having me. I consider myself to be mildly interesting, not fascinating, but <laughs> thank you nonetheless. <laughs> All right, well, well, we'll see what we can do about that. Before we get cracking, a little bit of housekeeping for everybody watching and listening. Uh, we're going to do about 45 minutes to 50 minutes with David. We're going to have a great conversation about what's been happening. And then there will be an opportunity uh, for you guys to submit your questions. If you want to do that, the best way to do it is... Uh, send a super chat or send a PayPal. The links are in the description and they'll be appearing in the chat as well. Put your mic on, Constantine. My, my mic is on. All right. Okay. Uh, you haven't been able to hear us for the last minute. Okay. We, we heard it was just softer than, than Francis. It was just softer. It wasn't the usual Francis voice. So what I'm saying is if you want to submit a question for, for David uh, as we talk, uh, there will be an opportunity to do that. The way to do that is through the Super Chats uh, or the PayPals. And uh, it is not a, an episode of Trigonometry, David, if we haven't fucked something up technologically before we start. So <laughs> we're good to go. All right. Well, here we go. Let, let's start the conversation. So, David, the question... We always ask our guests, and the very first one is, who are you? What has been your journey through life? But the third part of that question is, how did you get involved with the truckers and the situation that's happening in Canada? The world, life is amazingly bizarre. Kierkegaard said it can only be understood backwards, but has to be lived forwards. Uh, Montrealer, born and raised, uh, youngest of five kids. My father is a lawyer. My second oldest brother is a lawyer. My sister's a lawyer. My other brother's a lawyer. I'm a lawyer. Are you Jewish? Well, I am Jewish as well. Born. That born makes sense. sense. <laughs> it was either you go into law or you go into medicine. And, uh, you know, I was too late to jump back on the science wagon. So I went into law. Um, born and raised, studied philosophy at McGill. Always had a thing about videography. Always loved making videos. When we were kids, we had, you know, the, the VHS camcorder on the shoulders. We would make videos on the weekend. In it's a, something called Sejep in between high school and university. I did fine arts, studied philosophy, but then you have to go out and get a professional degree and get a job. So I went to a law school in French in Quebec City, 
got my law degree, got a job at a big law firm, worked there for, give or take five years as a student, stagiaire, young lawyer, had my first kid, said, I don't like this lifestyle. I don't like the practice of law all that much. I quit on a Friday afternoon, said, I'm going to go back to photography at Dawson College and get my commercial photography degree before I could even apply ultimately, you know, didn't get in. I started getting calls for people who needed a lawyer. I was like, okay, I can do some work. By the end of the summer, I had more work than I knew what to do with. And then I started my own solo practice, which over the next seven years built up into a nice boutique litigation firm. But lo and behold, seven years later, I did not like the practice of law anymore, uh, any more than I did at any point in my life. And then in the interim, I discovered YouTube. I got a GoPro for Christmas in February, 2014, started making videos and started you know, getting back into the childhood passion of making videos. Long story short, one video went viral once upon a time. I learned about viral videography, video licensing, and then it all just merged together where I took video editing, video content creation, and merged it with my expertise 13 plus years as a commercial litigator and started doing legal analysis on current events. How I got a trucker thing, I, I'm sitting, I, I had the channel, it was a big enough channel beforehand. I was covering law, did the impeachment, did the Rittenhouse trial, Alec Baldwin, all these current events, legal stuff. Uh, and then I'm looking at what's happening in Ottawa and hearing about it through the media, but also from firsthand people on site. And I'm saying, I can't reconcile the diverging stories that I'm getting from mainstream Canadian media, CBC, CTV, a racist, xenophobic, violent protest and people on the ground saying it's nothing like this. So I go down the Monday after the protest just to live stream. I say, I'm going I'm to live stream for as long as my battery lasts. If, some, if I see Nazi flags, the world will see it. If I see Confederate flags, the world will see it. If we see violence, vandalism, the world will see it in real time. And the world saw what was happening in real time. And it wasn't anything like that. And I just said, I'm going to go back every day, document this so the world can see the degree to which Media and politicians are lying to Canadians to demonize this protest for reasons which, in retrospect, now we can totally understand why they did it. And that entire movement blew up into something of an international movement. Um, and I mean, it's, it was phenomenal to watch it happen in real time because a lot of people really just got awakened to the fact that we are being lied to in our faces remorselessly by this vortex of, of fake, I call it fake news, but just political lies. You got the media running lies, the politicians recycle the media lies, the, the media recycles the politicians' amplification of the lies, and that's your vortex of misinformation. All right, well, uh, let's try and diffuse some of that misinformation. <laughs> As a fellow Jewish Nazi, uh, let, let, me, uh, let me start by saying, for those of you, because you talk about the Canadians are being lied to, but actually all of us around the world, we've got absolutely no idea what's going on. I think a lot of people sort of pretend that they do, but we don't know what's happened. Uh, it's hard to follow from abroad when you can't go down and see with your own eyes and what do you trust and what do you not trust. So let's just go right back to the very beginning. How did this happen? What was it about? What happened? How did it start? How did it proceed? So it, it started so innocuously. I've, I have my channel. I've had my channel for a long time. And I've been doing what I call Viva on the Street rants of sorts. I walk my dog. It started a year ago. During, well, the Viva on the Streets started a year ago where we were under curfew. And the only way to get out of your house after 8 o'clock was to walk your dog. And so mm -hmm. I said, I'm going to document this curfew because I think it's unconstitutional. I think it's obscene. And I started doing these, these videos on the street where I just talked about legal stuff that was going on in Canada, specifically in, the, in respect of the COVID response. 
so I've been doing these for a while, and I've been doing them again during the second lockdown. You know, the, the very scientific government implemented a second curfew uh, a year after the first highly unscientific curfew. And as I'm doing it, you know, th there starts to be some discussion about this, this convoy that is leaving British Columbia to protest these absurd COVID measures. And I started looking into it. I was like, okay, well, I'm not seeing anything. I'm seeing a report in the CBC about hundreds of truckers, a convoy in British Columbia. I think they were going from Surrey to Vancouver, which are two cities in British Columbia. For those of you who don't know, west coast of Canada. And I was like, okay, well, so big deal. They're protesting road conditions, apparently. Then I, you know, I get a lot of intel from people who know more than me, email saying, dude, that's not right. There, it's a bigger convoy. It's thousands of truckers driving across the country. And sure enough, once it became so known that it couldn't be hidden, the CBC, which was originally uh, reporting on a, a very small hundreds of trucks coming out of British Columbia, protesting road conditions, they stealth edit their original article to just add the small detail. That protest or convoy is not the same one as the convoy that's going cross country to Ottawa. And then it just it, it kept on getting bigger and bigger. The media tried to ignore it. Then they tried to spin it by saying it's a small protest in British Columbia. And then when it became too big to ignore, they tried to malign it. And that's when we saw all of the misinformation, racist, xenophobic. They're coming to overthrow the government. They're coming to, quote, overthrow the government. That statement was quoted by Jagmeet Singh, then by the National Post, then by daytime radio, when in reality, nobody involved in the actual convoy itself ever had any stated objective to overthrow the government. But uh, I mean, that's, that's how it started. And then the question is, look how it's going now. I mean, it-, it, it So it, that uh, is, sorry, David, that's ahead, where we are now, okay? I've been watching Canada. Now, before COVID hit Canada, I thought Canada was one of the most liberal, sane countries in the entire world. And I've looked at Canada and the way it's behaved over COVID. I'm gonna use technical language here. It's fucking mental. Right? It, it's it's absolutely insane. Why Why have the Canadians done this? Or more put accurately, why have the Canadian government implemented this? And why have they behaved in this fashion? Well, it, it, you know, it's funny. Uh, I it, Again, things can be understood backwards. I had a lot of people on my channel back when I was, you know, giving, I still think they're objective breakdowns, but I was not sharing my opinion. I was, you know, explaining things. Back in the day, all of my American subs were saying, you guys have, this is pre-COVID. You guys have no free speech in Canada. You have no freedoms in Canada. You are subjects of, of, of the queen and you think you have freedom. And I'm sitting there saying, you guys are exaggerating. We have freedom of speech, you know? Uh, and then I didn't appreciate it until I did a video on Bill C-16 at the time, which was uh, uh, Jordan Peterson was talking about it. Is this law going to result in compelled speech? And he was he was raising the flags about it at the time. And I was like, no, 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 it's not. You know, we want to add gender identity as aggravating factors to hate crimes. Jordan Peterson was saying, well, this is going to result in people saying, you call me by my gender identity or it's a hate crime or I'm going to, you know, compelled speech. I was like, no, no, you're exaggerating. But it was it started long before, you know, the, with the liberal policies under Justin Trudeau have, have been fundamentally illiberal, illiberal but cloaked under liberalism. The idea of banning certain types of speech that you deem to be hate speech, well, it starts off with certain, call them objective words, and then it turns into honk honk memes, means Heil Hitler, and you can't say it because it, that's how it goes. So it's always, these seeds have been planted a long time ago. And you know, the analogy, everybody says bamboo grows overnight. Bamboo might grow 18 feet 
overnight, but it took six years for those seeds to, to, to take a seed in the ground so it could grow that fast overnight. We went fascistic over the last two years, but those seeds had been planted unbeknownst to a great many people, at the very least as of Justin Trudeau's uh, ascension to the reign of power. And, you know, not only were we not paying attention to it at the time because we could not have anticipated it would go so far off the rails, uh, we were also ignoring the, the dictator's own tendencies to praise dictatorships and uh, his, his propensity for corruption and lack of ethics. David, you're using some big words there, but and sort of the normie audience portion of our audience, I think, would balk at some of that. You call it fascistic. You know, you and I probably have, you know, members of our family who died to fascism in in World War Two. You call Justin Trudeau dictator. Are you not going a bit far there? Are you not exaggerating? Like, explain to us why is this fascistic? Uh, so I've I've had this argument with with friends and family where. You know, they say, don't compare it to Germany. Don't compare it to this and that. And I, I'm, I'm very much, I agree with that. You don't willy-nilly just, you know, break out the Godwin's law and when someone makes a rule, call them Hitler. Uh, and, and I've been specifying this over time. When anyone compares things to Hitler or Germany, they think 1939 to 1945 Germany. But there are other eras in which you can compare uh, without getting into the most egregious part of Nazi Germany starting with 1933, the Reichstag fire, where whether or not it was a false flag setup, it was used as an excuse to invoke the Emergencies Act and suspend parliament. So a fabricated crisis was used to grant the government emergency powers to effectively suspend democracy. If that is not exactly what was done now, well then, I don't care if you get offended by the analogy, you should at least know your history so that you can see the signs of things as they're occurring in real time. I doubt very much Canada will ever descend into a 1939 Germany. But that does not mean that Canada under Trudeau is not right now acting very much like a 1933 Germany, because they are. So when I use the term fascistic, um, a government subsidizing the media, buying off the media, so the media then effectively becomes the mouthpiece of the government, uh, and then you have the courts uh, who are appointed by the government, ratifying these decisions that are made by the government, uh, promoted by the media to brainwash the masses into thinking it's somehow acceptable to talk about a tax on the unvaccinated or it's somehow acceptable to quarantine, to forcefully detain people in government facilities with no due process, no court order, no nothing. When all those three things come together, you basically have a fascistic regime. Whether or not you find it hyperbolic, that's, that's the literal Mussolini definition of fascism is when you have big tech and the media working with the government. And that is exactly what we have now to violate our most fundamental and sacred rights. People should understand this outside of Canada. Within Canada, during the, co during the COVID response, we were literally locked in our homes, at least in Quebec, under a curfew from eight at night to, it might've been eight at night to five in the morning or nine at night, whatever the time was, we were put under curfew to fight a virus when our own health director guy here, Horacio Arruda, openly stated there's no science to back this as a measure to combat a virus. We were locked in our homes. The court said that's not a big deal. Uh, there was another lawsuit where they were contesting children being compelled to wear face masks. The court said the risk, however minimal, is still there, so we're ratifying this. In Canada, Justin Trudeau required... Uh, travelers re-entering by air to be uh, whisked off to government-designated quarantine facilities. They called them quarantine hotels, but they were taken and detained 
in government designated quarantine facilities, no due process, no, and they had to pay for the luxury, no less, $2,000, uh, where people were sexually assaulted in these government designated quarantine facilities. The court said, that's fine. So if, I don't think people outside of Canada appreciate how far off the rails the Canadian government has gone, but they have their bought and paid for media promoting the narrative, concealing the lies, concealing everything else that is, is wrong with the Justin Trudeau government, all the while just wholesale desecration of our most fundamental constitutional rights. And if anyone gets offended by the comparisons to other historical atrocities out of New Brunswick, they implemented something where they were basically saying unvaccinated people could not get into grocery stores and they would have to find alternative means for, uh, I think they called them uh, necessities of life. I'm sorry, if you don't think it's time to start making comparisons to historical atrocities when you are denying people access to necessities of life based on their medical status, you need to learn from history and I don't need to weigh my words. But, but here's the thing, hang on a second, but isn't he the wokest, kindest prime minister that you've ever had? He says, hey men, he says, hey women. You know, he's the first black prime minister of Canada. Of Canada. Come on. He's, he's, he, he's, a, he's a hypocrite. He lies, period. He, he touts himself as when he was asked, you know, why is your cabinet, uh, why are there so many women in your cabinet? And he says, oh, because it's 2020. Ha ha ha. Well done. He took social media credit. He scored his virtue signaling points for appointing, he touted it at the time, the first female Aboriginal Minister of Justice and Attorney General. He took social media credit for being progressive, for having done that. And then when she, Jody Wilson-Raybould, the Minister of Justice, refused to adhere to his corrupt demands not to prosecute this massive conglomerate that he was chummy-chummy with, when she, as an independent Minister of Justice, said, I'm going to prosecute them for corruption uh, because of what they were doing in Liberia. It's a construction conglomerate. He pressured her not to do it. He pressured her to enter into a deferred prosecution agreement with this company. She said, no, I'm prosecuting them. And then he, who took social media virtue signaling credit for having appointed the first female Aboriginal Minister of Justice, demoted her because she would not listen to his corrupt demands. I mean, mm. he, he talks the talk and he says, you know, the platitudes. But in practice, he does everything the exact opposite. And, uh, you know, the, the, the blackface thing, the images everybody now has seen across the world. It's, you know, I would not have been shocked about that because people do stupid things. Uh, hmm. the, the, the moral climate when he did that was different than what it is today, but it's the hypocrisy that this guy looks around and sees racism everywhere. He sees sexism everywhere. He sees, well, he sees bad things everywhere. And it's probably because it's all in him. And he just views the world through his own mental framework of feeling that and doing that himself. So he just assumes everyone else does it. But the, the blackface images, he was alleged to have groped a reporter back in 2000. He apologized to her. He fired the minister of justice for not adhering to his demands, his two ethics breaches. I don't know if your audience knows that Tr Justin Trudeau was found to have breached his the code of ethics or the ethics code twice on two separate occasions. One for taking undisclosed gifts from the Aga Khan Foundation while that uh, Aga Khan Foundation was petitioning the government for tens of millions of dollars in federal monies that they got. He took an all-expenses weekend vacation to the private island of Aga Khan, didn't disclose it, brought down the RCMP, of course, didn't disclose any of that, and was found to have breached his ethics. That was the first time. Second time was the SNC-Lavalin, where he exercised undue pressure on the independent body of the Minister of Justice and Attorney General. And then the third ethics investigation was his mother and his brother taking 
speaking fees from this thing called the We Charity, where they took like $335,000 in speaking fees from a charity over two years. And then lo and behold, the We Charity was granted a sole sourced, no bid government contract to administer a billion dollars in student aid for which they would have gotten paid $20 million. I don't know how that did not satisfy the criteria for a third ethics violation, but there was that. And while that investigation is going on, he prorogues parliament to suspend the investigation. I mean, he, he might say the right things, but everything he does is the exact opposite. And um, he's ultimately just a, a pure hypocrite, uh, uh, to, he, mildly. He, he does sound like he'd make a great prime minister of <laughs> Russia, the way you're talking about him. But uh, it's it's interesting that you, you're saying this because the people of Canada, some of them seem to be supporting him. Uh, here's the funny thing. So I, I ran for federal office last uh, September. I think that might have mm. been the last time I cut my hair. <laughs> so I, I ran for federal office for the PPC, the People's Party of Canada. You know, they're, they're, they're dubbed far right, uh, more conservative than conservative. It's an, it's an idiotic misnomer because I don't consider myself conservative. I don't know what these words mean anymore, but I have as many liberal uh, policies in my, in my spirit as I do conservative. I ran. Uh, I didn't meet one person who liked Justin Trudeau. I met a bunch of people who said, I hate him. I'm going to vote for him and hold my nose, like they said with Hillary Clinton. I met a bunch who said, I hate him so much, I'm going to vote NDP out of protest, the new Democratic Party, uh, led by Jagmeet Singh. And I said at the time, if you think that's a protest vote, I mean, you're just voting for Justin Trudeau 2.0. The only difference between Justin Trudeau and Jagmeet Singh is that Jagmeet Singh has not had the power yet to act on his corruption, but he's just as corrupt and just as immoral. For, for your audience who doesn't know, the new Democratic Party, the leader Jagmeet Singh, at one point during the election came out and said, uh, the people who don't want to wear masks tend to be far-right uh, extremists. David, one second. We've just lost yeah. audio on our end for some reason. Here, here we go. Uh, here we go. Of me? Uh, yeah, carry on, carry on. Okay. Apologies. So, uh, Jagmeet Singh, for anybody who doesn't know, he's the leader of the New Democratic Party. During the election, he came out in a speech, very eloquently said, people who oppose mask mandates and don't want to wear masks are selfish. They don't care about community. They tend to be right-wing extremists. The most idiotic stuff in the world, you can imagine. And then about a week later, he was caught not wearing a mask, breaking the COVID rules. So Jagmeet Singh is, is just as bad as Trudeau, minus the power. So he has not yet a, a had the chance to be in power to act on his corrupt nature. But people, I never met anybody who liked Justin Trudeau. Uh, so I don't, he, he got reelected with a minority government. I think they, they lost or gained one seat, but there was no difference. But it, it was only like 20% or 22% of the eligible vote voted for Trudeau. The rest was split over the NDP, the Conservatives. Uh, to a lesser extent, the PPC, we got under a million votes nas nationwide, which was still pretty good. And then the Green Party and some other stuff. But I, some people vote for him out of pure ignorance. Some people vote for him because they think if they vote for a liberal party, it makes them liberal. But the irony is that the liberal party and Justin Trudeau are the most intolerant, uh, I would say undemocratic and unconstitutional party out there. They just go under the name liberal so people can feel good about themselves. I guess, uh, so let me just follow okay. up on that. I guess what I'm getting at, David, is, is to what extent is he imposing policies that have public support? Because in the UK, there were moments when we were going in that fascistic direction. And what we found was that was because a lot of the public wanted it. Is that true in Canada? It's it's a difficult thing to tell because, you know, he, he comes out during the election, just as Justin Trudeau, and says how 
the unvaccinated, they're putting their kids at risk and they're putting our kids at risk. And then he goes out to even say something even worse. Those people are putting us all at risk. He says these things, they get outrage, but then you get these polls from CBC, you know, using the same pollsters that, that had the PPC at under 2%, which made no sense. You get these pollsters who are fundamentally corrupt for anybody who doesn't really understand that. I would invite you to watch the sidebar that I did with Robert Barnes with Richard Barris. Um, pollsters are notoriously corrupt. But when you have the CBC coming out and saying 70% of Canadians support harsher measures on the unvaccinated, and then, and, and then you go look and it's like a polling of 14, not even 1,100 people who anybody who answers these polls in the first place tends to be uh, of a certain ideological alignment. You have the media running these polls that say people agree with this when I don't think they do. And my impression is that these corrupt pollsters in the first place are trying to craft reality and not reflect it. Um, and then you have daytime radio, CJAD, saying, you know, people support more measures. We should crack down on the unvaccinated. M my impression is the majority of people don't feel this way. But the pollsters and CBC, the state-funded media, come out and say the majority of people do feel this way as though to empower others or to encourage them to feel this way based on polls that say everybody feels it. it's a It's a vicious circle. But my personal impression is that most people don't. And a lot of them are just too fearful to say publicly that they don't. I can't even share anecdotes of professionals from all walks of life who come up to me and say, Canada's off the deep end. What's up with this? We can't stand this. But uh, when you have like eight political parties running for office, it has its own problems that a two-party system doesn't have in that it splits up the vote. Justin Trudeau gets reelected with a very small minority government and he gets to say, I have a mandate to do this stuff when I think in reality he doesn't. And I think beneath the, the veneer of fake news and fake polls, people do not support this and people despise it. Why do you think it is that the more liberal, and I'm putting liberals in inverted commas, because as you've just said to yourself, these words no longer mean what they used to. And in fact, many of them have become redundant. I think that's a great point. Why is it these liberals are actually the most draconian when it comes to implementing COVID legislation. You look at Scotland with the SNP, very liberal, <laughs> but they're not. They're really, really hard line when it comes to COVID. You look at what's happening in New York. You look at what's happening in Canada. You look at what's happening in New Zealand. These are countries that have gone off the deep end when it comes to this, when it comes to this virus. I, so, there's these, I, I don't like... Uh, categorizing people based on politics. I just remember, you know, growing up, this did not come from my father, so I don't want anyone thinking this came from my father. Uh, I remember always hearing liberalism is a mental disorder. Uh, I remember hearing behind every liberal is an aspiring tyrant. I never understood these things at the time. But now I see it. It's, that the, it's, it's the idea that, uh, who was it that wrote Through the Looking Glass? Lewis Carroll. I think mm. it was his quote who basically said, there's nothing worse than a tyrant who thinks that they're acting on their own benevolence because they'll they'll do it day in and day out and th there's no respite to their tyranny because they think it's for their the, the good of others you know justin i don't i i don't even think that applies to trudeau because i think he knows what he's doing but the bottom line is they think that it's for everyone else's benefit so there's no limits to their liberalism because it's for everyone else's own greater good but it is it's it's just a shocking irony you know in the united states you have the democrats the democratic party saying can't have voter ID because it's racist, but you need vaccine passport ID to get into a coffee shop or to eat in New York City. I mean, you you have, and I called it at the time, I called it out at the time when Justin Trudeau was saying, 
you know, the most liberal, tolerant government, it's all about inclusion, diversity, et cetera, implementing a vaccine passport system that is disparately going to impact blacks, Latinos, and indigenous people of Canada. And if you don't know it, you're, you're, an, you're an incompetent nincompoop. If you do know it, you're an absolute hypocrite. And it's not possible that Justin Trudeau does not know that the people who are historically reluctant to, to have vaccine hesitancy are uh, ethnic minorities. And hmm. the ultimate irony, the reason for which they are reluctant is because of past historical atrocities committed by the government. The Tuskegee experiments on the black population in, in America, the residential schooling system in Canada, for which our liberal government just apologized and paid out $40 billion settlement, they tested. They did medical testing on, on indigenous children in the residential school system. And now you got your liberal government once again saying, we know what's better for you minorities. Do what we say, or you can't fly on a plane or take a train across Canada. I mean, they think they're doing it for other people's good. It, they, they are aspiring tyrants and they try to cloak their tyranny in benevolence. And it's the most dangerous combination, but it's the most absolute flagrant hypocrisy. You may as well just put up a sign in your in your restaurant if you're imposing a vaccine passport saying black people, Latinos and indigenous proportionately are not welcome. That's what's happening in New York. And the inconsistency in these policies should be shocking to everyone who considers themselves to be a liberal or a Democrat. Look, I'm fully behind you. And both of us and everyone here at Trigonometry has spoken out consistently, consistently against vaccine passports. I think the people who agreed to them, you're opening a Pandora's box. And if you're opening a Pandora's box to a place and to a society where none of us want to go. That being the case, what's, let's look at the trucker situation now. What is happening now on the ground as of today? The, the last, I mean, Ottawa is effectively, uh, uh, at last checked, a police state. I mean, if they thought, if the people of Ottawa thought that their mobility through downtown Ottawa was compromised by the convoy, well, be careful what you wish for, because now you got cops and fences on every street corner, uh, literally checking papers, checking credentials to walk through the downtown core. Um, it's, it's a misnomer. It's the fake news uh, success of this, the public perception of this protest that Ottawa was besieged, that Ottawa was crippled and paralyzed. I drove in, it was, if not 14 days, 13 days, it was between 12 and 4, I forget how many. I never once had any traffic getting in or out. I never once had any problem finding parking. Uh, I parked a, a kilometer away from the protest, maybe about a kilometer away, never had a problem. Walking through, never had security issues, never felt unsafe, never felt threatened or intimidated. There was not one lick of vandalism anywhere in the protest, which was on, you know, concentrated on Wellington Street, which is right on Parliament Hill and the three blocks uh, to the south. People were saying that the city's paralyzed, it's besieged, it's an occupation. Restaurants could have been open. They could have been open easily and safely, and they would have done very good business. It was the government that told them to shut down. And the businesses that stayed open did very well. And after the siege was over, the government apparently is going after one of the coffee shops, the iconic cafe, who served truckers during the protest. But during the protest, free mobility, it, Ottawa had never been safer. And this is, if anyone doesn't trust me, go Google it. Crime actually went down in the weeks of the convoy. Because for those who don't know, Ottawa does have a bit of a homeless problem. It does have a bit of, it's not the cleanest city. It's not the safest city. And that uh, area was not an area that you'd ever want to walk at night under normal times. But then, you know, the cops show up after three weeks of the most peaceful protest, and they break it up in the most brutal, man br brutal manner possible. The videos are out there. And then it becomes a total police. It's, it's cordoned off. Cops are checking credentials, passports. Only if you work in the downtown core can you go there. So 
the people of Ottawa, if you thought it was blocked off before, uh, you know, look at it now. I haven't gone back since the Saturday of the day where it was clear that it was going to be broken up. The cops were not, were not friendly. They were breaking out tear gas. They were hitting people with batons. They were pepper spraying people. I was personally within 10 feet of a stun grenade going off for whatever the reason. Two of them, sorry. Two went off for whatever the reason. I haven't gone back since. Um, but I, I mean, I've seen the images and I've seen Rebel News there. It's, it's, a, it's an outright police state. It might have been, it might be less so now that Justin Trudeau rescinded the Emergencies Act that he declared and voted on two days ago. Mm. And David, one of the things that I think is immediately striking to anyone who didn't wake up yesterday but has been paying attention to what's going on, you use the phrase peaceful protest. Uh, we do remember only a couple of years ago there were protests around the world uh, whose peacefulness was somewhat uh, more questionable, <laughs> let's say, to put it very mildly. There were uh, shops being looted, shops being burned, people being assaulted, several people were murdered, uh, whole territories of American cities were annexed as if by a foreign power and occupied. Uh, why do you think it's okay to, you know, for mounted police to trample protesters who are protesting against vaccine passports and vaccine mandates? but it wasn't okay for the police to do anything. In fact, the solution, and your leader kneeled with BLM, the solution was to defund the police. But here we have the police, you know, being perfectly entitled to essentially beat people up who are peacefully protesting. It, it, I mean, it's just, it's just the double standards of politics. I mean, the, the, the government in Canada wanted so badly for this protest to turn into or become what January 6th is alleged to have been or become. They wanted so bad for there to be violence which I'm convinced is why they just outright ignored the protesters um, for the three weeks. They, they ignored them in the hopes of getting them frustrated enough to, or just wait long enough for it to devolve into violence, because typically that's just what happens with protests. You know, the BLM protests, they don't all start violently, but the longer they go on, the more likely it is you have agitators coming in, bad actors mm. coming in, people who just want to exploit the opportunity to loot and, and cause havoc. It's the same thing with, with hockey um, pro, not protests, but hockey uh, celebrations, they, they, they go on long enough, they ultimately devolve into breaking windows and looting. The, the, the mostly peaceful but slightly fiery protests in the US, we didn't have them to that extent in Canada, even mm. for the BLM protests. They remain by and large peaceful. Uh, they shut down streets, maybe not for three weeks, but you know they shut down streets. They caused traffic problems. Um, they, they could have easily met the same grounds for the violent intervention that Trudeau decided to implement on these protesters. But I, I'm convinced they just ignored them because they wanted it to devolve. And if anybody thinks I'm exaggerating or I, I'm, I've taken sides on this, I have, I have my own side on this, but I was there. I asked the cops, has there been, have there been any acts of violence, any, any vandalism? One cop said, yeah, there there's a broken window and then started smirking and said, yeah, but it had nothing to do with the protest. Another cop said, yeah, there was some vandalism right across the street in real time. And I walk across the street to see, he said it was on the Senate building. And I saw nothing. And I don't know if he was joking, but you know, th this, this was three weeks of, of peaceful protests. So peaceful, by the way, that the Ottawa Council, their biggest issue with this was that there were bouncy castles and hot tubs on Wellington, and it's, it's unacceptable. This led to Justin Trudeau, after three weeks of the most peaceful protest, declaring the Emergencies Act. Uh, you know, yet again, desecrating our constitution and rule of law for political gain. It, making fools of everyone in his party that voted for this and the new Democrat party that voted for this only to rescind the order two days after it was voted upon because 
there are now existing laws that can deal with the situation as though that was not always the case beforehand. Everyone who's charged with a crime there was charged under the criminal code, which pre-existed the Emergencies Act declaration. But my theory, they, they wanted it to devolve so badly that they just said, we'll wait and we'll wait and we'll wait and something bad will happen. And when it didn't happen, and they just got absolutely embarrassed and mocked on the international scene, and this started generating spin-off movements across the world, they said, my goodness, we got to put an end to it. How do we do that? Let's go to our state-sponsored media. Let's pretend that, let's go back to those alleged Nazi flags and Confederate flags of which there were only one each on day one, both asked to leave, never to be repeated. They go back to the media, say, make this into something outrageous so that we can justify using the Emergencies Act. They did it. And even in the violent crackdown to end it, they did not provoke the response that they wanted to provoke from those peaceful protesters. But it wasn't just the Canadian government ignoring uh, the protests. It's also the mainstream media, particularly in the UK. I can't talk for the, for the US, but it was impossible to find this story anywhere. And it was only covered in, in a few outlets. And when they did cover it, it was biased. Yeah, always the same, the same stories. If you stand with Nazi flags and Confederate flags and people who desecrate the war monuments, everybody out there needs to understand this. And if you don't trust me, you can go watch 40 hours of live stream. There was exactly one image of an individual carrying a Nazi flag and one image of an individual carrying a Confederate flag who, for whatever the reason, was the only individual there wearing a full face mask with sunglasses. He was asked to leave, and I know the individual who asked him to leave personally. The guy with the Nazi flag, on the, on the outskirts of the protest and just happened to have a professional photographer three feet from him with a $3,000 cannon rig to snap the wonderful image. And those lying politicians ran with those two singular images to paint the narrative that this was a racist, Nazi, white supremacist, overthrow the government insurrection protest. And that's all the media ran with. And it was, it was, it was, it was mind-blowing. Even when the media was uh, live streaming or live reporting on the crackdown, and they literally see police officers kneeing protesters like they like you'd think that they were trying to soften up a bag of hay. Uh, the, 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 the reporters are like, well, we're watching a couple of arrests live. And it's like, no, that's not an arrest, what you're watching. You're watching a peaceful, you're watching a, a policeman assault a peaceful protester. So they, mm. the, the coverage was so limited, so tainted, so skewed, but it is exactly what you would expect when you're talking about fascism from the media that is paid by the government on whom they are supposed to report. I mean, basically mm. imagine someone who's, who's supposed to criticize their employer. It won't happen. David, it's an interesting point you make. We're going to go to the Q&A in a few minutes. And guys, remember, if you want to send in a super chat or a PayPal, that's the best way to get your question asked. But David, there's something that strikes me immediately sitting here in London talking to you, which is, you know, like I have family in Ukraine right now and the situation's happening there. They have martial law. And I'm going, well, there's a war going on. Martial law kind of makes sense. Like you need to make sure people aren't just walking around, getting killed and all that. But what we're talking about here, and this is the striking thing, is we're sitting in London we, where we are now completely free. All restrictions lifted. No, we came close to considering vaccine uh, mandates and vaccine passports, but it didn't happen. Right. And it's been a few months since uh, since the uh, Omicron wave started. And now we're completely free. Right. Uh, the numbers in hospitals are down. The number of people catching it is down. The number of people seriously ill is way down. And our restrictions are gone. We're not wearing masks. We don't have to. None of that. 
And the things that you are describing, uh, the dictatorship, as you called it, and the fascistic tendencies of your government, they are in response to the very same thing that we have here in London, for which we are taking no action whatsoever, and we are fine. So what is that all about? I mean, I, I don't. It's it's a bizarre thing that the government just doubles down on its on its failed policies. I mean, that's what that's what government does. They they failed policy. You can't admit mistake because admitting mistake in politics is an act of weakness. So you got to double down on your failed policy. The amazing thing, uh, if you were to just you know overlay two graphs of COVID uh, hospitalizations, deaths, etc. If you were to overlay two graphs, that of Canada with that of Florida. And you would see that with or without the most draconian measures, the graph looks pretty much the same. Uh, you know, you might you might think twice about your policies unless you're the government and you've just had this massive two year power grab and you don't want to give back the rights which have now become privileges. So what do you got to do? You double down, double down, and then and then shift the uh, shift the attention, shift the focus. But it's just, it's been a cataclysmic failure from day one. We now have the reports coming out showing that lockdowns did nothing. Uh, I won't get into the face masks because I am I know my limits. Uh, but when you overlay the graph of Florida and Canada, and you see that it was the same result regardless of what they did, you know, a responsible government would say, okay, fine, we thought what we were doing was right, and now we're just going to back it all up. Uh, an irresponsible, tyrannical regime like Justin Trudeau will say, we're doubling down. We've we've promised a billion taxpayer dollars to the provinces for this vaccine passport system, while the indigenous peoples up north uh, don't actually have clean drinking water. But set that aside, and um, and we we want to keep going hard. So let's let's demonize this protest. Let's try to trigger a January sixth type event with these protesters, so that we can come down with even more draconian measures. The Emergencies Act. When that when he does that, and it doesn't exactly work out as planned, and it looks like the Senate might have been ready to vote down the invocation, backtrack. And just make a total fool of yourself and then go focus on the Ukraine. David, do you think this marks the end of Trudeau's pre, uh, prime ministerial? Pri, uh, I forgot the word, but prime leader, ministership. Prime ministership, that's the one. Do you think this marks the end of his prime ministership? Or do you think, you know, that he's going to weather this storm like our own Boris Johnson does with his own shenanigans and that he's just going to carry on? Well, premiership I, I think he, is actually I, the word, sorry. Yeah. I think I did say that uh, this this Emergencies Act invocation is either going to be the end of Canada, politically speaking, or it's going to be the end of Trudeau, politically speaking. I, I thought Trudeau was done for after the third re-election with a minority government because you can't you can't keep getting re-elected as a minority government and then expect to stay the leader of the party. So I thought he was done for back in September, but that requires another election. This, I think, I think he 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 should be regarded as what he is politically toxic. Any liberal within the party with the slightest aspirations for leadership should see this as the moment to, to jump on it. Trudeau has desecrated our constitution, desecrated the rule of law, caused, if it's not irreparable, it's very long-lasting harm to Canadian financial institutions, to international trust in Canadian financial institutions. Um, he's embarrassed everyone in his own party who spent two days debating at the House of Commons the necessity of this Emergencies Act only so that he could two days later say, I'm rescinding it. He made fools of everyone in his party, everyone in the NDP. Thank goodness he exposed the fool that is just, uh, that is Jagmeet Singh. But he, he should be politically toxic forever. And I think it is just a matter of time before either there's a vote of confidence and there's going to be new elections uh, and he's out, 
Oh, but but I think he's he's I think he is done for, and he should be done for politically because he's caused irreparable harm nationally and internationally to Canada. And now he gets up and wants to tell Putin about unwarranted aggression in the Ukraine. I mean, the world's not stupid. The people learn from from and people follow the example. And when they know that you no longer have any moral authority or moral standing to take such positions, they're going to feel empowered to do similar things. So he it it should be the end of him politically. And I think it will be. It's just going to take a few more weeks or months to pan out. You make a good point, and it's a point particularly by Ukraine I've been making for, for some time now about the West's moral authority and how much we undermine it when we fail to adhere to our own values. Uh, but, David, it's been brilliant. We've been chatting for an hour. It's flown by. I really want to get as many of our audience questions in as possible. So, guys, uh, send them in, and in a couple of minutes' time, we will address them. We're going to take a quick commercial break, and we'll be back in a couple of minutes to ask all your questions to David. Thanks for watching so far. Hey KK, do you like feeling silky and smooth like a sexual dolphin? Never talk to me again. What if I told you that Manscaped have brought out a new and improved lawnmower 3.0 that allows you to be fresh and trim for the ladies down below? I'm married. The last time I was fresh and trim down below, Jimmy Savile was a respected children's entertainer. I'm going to ignore that. The lawnmower has a cutting edge ceramic blade which reduces the risk of having an accident where you least want an accident. My bank account. No, you idiot. You know, lost wear boss. Oh, right. Plus, it's waterproof, which means you can groom in the shower and it has an LED light so you can really get an accurate and precise trim. Excellent. Sounds great. What's the battery like? 90 minutes. So you can do your whole area in about seven recharges. To take advantage of this incredible offer, go to manscaped.com and you'll get 20% off with free shipping. Just use our code, which is of course, trigger20. That is trigger20. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. And use our code, which is of course, Tricker20. Your werewolves will thank you. Excellent. All right, everybody, welcome back. We're going to ask uh, your questions of Viva Fried. Let's bring him back in, Anton. Here we go. Uh, we've got a bunch of stuff coming in. Uh, let's fire away. So the first one is a very good question, and it's from SK. And they ask, quite a quick question for Viva. Do you think conservatism is on the rise in Canada after the catastrophic Trudeau government? I, I don't know what conservatism means anymore, but if I think, do I think that people who support freedom of speech, oppose censorship, and believe that constitutional rights should have some value is on the rise? Yes, and I hope so. I do also, unfortunately, think that what I see on the rise are people thinking, Everything is justified if it's purportedly for the greater good. So mm. your your freedom of mobility can be, you know, whisked away like that if it's for the greater good. My only response to that is uh, the individual rights is the greater good. And to quote Ayn Rand, there is no minority smaller than the individual. And if you don't support individual rights, you basically don't support minority rights whatsoever. Just to just to add to that question, do you not worry that? I've used the phrase Pandora's box before. Do you not worry that we've opened a Pandora's box here and that now it's just going to be another government tool? Well, I, I am worried about that. I mean, like, it's, it's exactly what we saw, or it's analogous to what we saw happen in the United States with the impeachment proceedings. You know, these, these exceptional laws, these exceptional recourses that destabilize governments and nations themselves, they're supposed to be limited 
to the most egregious exceptional circumstances, uh -huh. declaring the uh, the Emergencies Act is the um, it followed the War Measures Act. Invoking the War Measures Act was supposed to be done during an act of you know, during war, during some form uh -huh. of absolute unquestionable national crisis. If it's questionable, it's probably not going to satisfy it. If the impeachment is supposed to you know it's supposed to have been sacred, and it was just. It was just whored out. It was it was it was mm -hmm. bastardized in its application to the point where now it's like, hey, well, it's it's just another tool of government. The mm -hmm. Emergencies Act, likewise, was never supposed to be just another tool in the box. It was supposed to be the only break in case of emergencies acts above the, the box. And Justin Trudeau, after three weeks of failed leadership, demonizing good, peace-loving Canadians, said, Ooh, time to time to break out the axe when I haven't even used the toolbox. Hmm. It's a really good point. Now, we've got a slightly lighter-hearted question from Shh with the five Canadian dollars. It says, Viva, I love your spirit. I just wanted to confirm if you are indeed the love child of Richard Gere and Geraldo Rivera. I have gotten Richard Gere as a younger person when my hair was shorter. I've gotten Richard <laughs> Gere, never seen it. Geraldo Rivera, I can sort of understand with the facial hair, but uh, I am not. I am the love child of <laughs> Mortimer and Barbara. <laughs> Since that was a quick one, I'll do another sort of slightly lighthearted one. There is everyone. Why is everyone banging on about Justin Trudeau being Castro's son? I don't get it. Uh, Anton, uh, yeah. Well, uh, it, but anyway, it's, it's uncanny. But you have to be careful with those images. It's very easy to slightly alter to make things look more like them. But the bottom yeah. line, Trudeau's mother had a history, a known history, and she had a known history with, with Castro as well. Uh, there, oh, okay, we perfect. And Icky Ike says... Uh, uh, he, he sort of makes that joke initially, but he's got a serious question at the end of it. He says, do you think that Justin Castro, as he put it, is finally following in his father's uh, Cubanadian footsteps? Just ignore that part of it. I think you've addressed it. But he, what he asks uh, is a more serious question is, are more authoritarian moves coming up, do you think? I, well, I don't think so. I, I think he's, I think Trudeau really, uh, I don't know if jumped the shark is the right expression. He really crossed the line here. Uh, and I, and even when civil rights associations in Canada that are traditionally, you know, more, more left than left, uh, announced they're filing suit, uh, you know, he's gone too far. And I just read in the chat, apparently if, if Tamara Lich, the organizer who's been held in jail for going on a week for mischief charges, uh, if, if it is in fact true that she has another hearing on Monday, I think that's earlier than when they initially uh, said they were going to have one. Yeah. I think everybody's starting to feel the pressure here because they, they crossed the line with this. And everybody, I think, understands that. I, it's arguable whether or not what Justin Trudeau did in terms of freezing bank accounts with no court order, no, no, no probable cause, no due process. It's arguable whether or not that caused a run on the banks, which is why mm. he also felt pressure to rescind this. But I, I think everybody appreciates what he did really caused a very big tear in the fabric of Canadian society and Canadian economy that they have to now start pulling back and stitching up and not 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 tearing further. Hmm. Uh, David, James Robinson uh, asks, does Viva think the current Russia-Ukraine crisis is going to give Trudeau enough cover, uh, in brackets, distraction, to get away with what he did? They're going to, the, the media is certainly going to do it and help him, help him do it. Uh, but no, I mean, the, the thing is also, there is an element of the Canadian subsidized media that is even turning on Trudeau but it's got to get so politically popular that they can call it out for what it is. The, the media across the globe are going to focus on the Ukraine-Russia conflict. They're going to hype it up as much as they can because it's good for their business. Um, but I, I think, unfortunately, for Trudeau, that the, the independent press with broader reach and more influence than legacy media are not going to forget it, and they're not going to let up on it. 
and it's not going to go away anytime soon. And and I, and I think, no, th this will be a, a temporary distraction. But at the end of the day, he there will be political accounts that will be held for what uh, for what they just did here. Mm. And uh, on 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 a similar subject, June Hope says, "Is it legal to act on a policy that's not law and hasn't been ratified, i.e., freezing bank accounts?" Was that in your assessment, uh, if there is ever an investigation into or some kind of court hearing about it, will that be found to to be unconstitutional and unlawful in Canada? So no legal advice. This is my own personal opinion because yes. I've stated it already. It, it, it's, it was absolutely unjustified to have invoked the Emergencies Act. It did not meet any of the criteria. I believe any reasonably uh, objective court would strike down the declaration uh, of the Emergencies Act. Now, a separate, I, I'm, this is again, this is not even legal advice. These are just questions that I would be asking as a lawyer and potentially as someone whose bank account might have been frozen. The Emergencies Act uh, declaration and the directives that Trudeau wanted to implement under the declaration, which needed to get approved by both the House of Commons and the Senate within seven sitting days of declaring the Emergencies Act, it never got ratified. He, re he rescinded it before it could either get ratified or struck down by the Senate. So the question is, it's nice that the government promises immunity to banks who carry mm. out these directives after pressure from the government. But if the declaration was never ratified, I would ask myself and possibly a court whether or not their immunity was ever conferred. And if it wasn't, they might not be immune for having arbitrarily, unilaterally, in the absence of a court order, with no due process, frozen bank accounts at the direction and behest of the government itself. It's arguable whether or not they actually benefit from immunity. And I would, I would look to the courts to question that and to provide an answer for that. But that's a question I would be asking because it's a real question. And following on from that, uh, Texas Terry asks, will protesters in Canada continue to be subject to financial penalties, including frozen bank accounts? Because there's a lot of them who have just paid a one-off payment. I think, was it after February the 15th? And will they continue to face penalties, do you think? Or will this you know, gradually go away? Well, so the, the, as far as I understand, uh, the bank accounts that were frozen, there were 206 of them, apparently, according to Christian Freeland, 206 accounts were arbitrarily frozen. Uh, they uh, consisted of the organizers of the protest and truck drivers or people who parked their car on Wellington. So I presume they took pictures of license plates, went to the banks and said, freeze the accounts. My understanding is that the accounts have been unfrozen. And I've had discussions with two organizers or two people involved in the protest who have had their bank accounts unfrozen now. So I don't think there's going to be any more freezing of accounts. I think that caused a very serious problem, both in terms of a potential bank run and just international confidence in the Canadian banking system. Now they work at the behest of the government with immunity. Uh, but as far as the other charges go, yeah, every, everyone who faced charges, everyone who got charged with mischief, obstruction, whatever, those are criminal charges that they're going to have to deal with. I don't think they're going to get uh, revoked by the issuing authorities um, but I, I mean, we'll see how the courts come down on these things, because some of these mischief charges. Uh, yeah. mischief but here's the thing. So when the when the coronavirus hit, COVID hit the UK and restrictions were put in, the first thing our government did is say, oh, you don't want to use cash. We're not going to use cash because that's person to person transaction and the virus can be spread with the cash and blah, blah, blah. We're going to get rid of cash. Everything's on card now. Immediately. My head, my, the alarm in my head went off because I went, hang on a second. That's just another way for you to track us. That's another way for you to control us. And actually, 
Once you become wholly reliant on a bank account, all they need to do is freeze it, and then you're done. There's nothing you can do. Yeah. You can't go anywhere. You don't have access to cash. People don't understand how dangerous this is. Have they got rid of cash in Canada? And do you think that this was part of a strategy? So they, they haven't gotten rid of cash in Canada. People don't appreciate how uh, vulnerable they are until it happens to them. But then they, you know, they reassure themselves, well, I'd never be, I'd never occupy downtown Ottawa. So do it to them and they deserve it because I'd never be there. Yeah. Wait until uh, the government, next government doesn't like BLM protests. And they say, oh, you were at a BLM protest, frozen bank accounts. Good luck paying your mortgage. Good luck buying food. It's a human rights violation, in my opinion, because you are effectively trying to starve a person to death. And that's what they tried to do with the protest. They tried to freeze them out, starve them out physically by, you know, not allowing them to bring gas in to, for their trucks. And then when it, when it was over, they tried to basically financially ruin and effectively starve and remove from society the people whose bank accounts they froze. Um, it's dangerous. The precedent is there. And worse than that, I think the government, you know, tried to push forward some legislation which would uh, expand the powers of FinTrack, which is like some, it's, it's a way of tracking foreign money. Uh, that Some people hypothesize that that was the end game and they might have gotten away with that. We'll see. But people are now very sensitive to the fact that you know, it's nice to have a bank card. It's nice to have a credit card with money in your account. But now that we've just seen the government can come in overnight with no court order, freeze it all, people realize now that they're vulnerable and maybe people are waking up to, I'm not going to go with the cryptocurrency stuff because I still don't understand it, but valuing <laughs> cash and valuing not having all your eggs in one bank basket. Yeah, you're right. And, you know, it was genuinely because, you know, you read the stories and you don't quite it doesn't hit you. But we, we do these calls with our top supporters. And one of them, she sent 100 bucks to, to, to these protesters. And she said she spent the whole time basically being terrified because she's a single retired person, no friends or family nearby. Uh, her, her income is her pension. And she basically was in a position where if the government or the bank had decided to freeze her, she's literally going to starve to death, right? It's, it's, and, and Yeah. Well, it's, it's atrocious. And they knew it. with these truckers, they have a community. So, you know, they, there's a community that helped them get through the week where their bank accounts were frozen. But I, I said at the time, you know, like some of these measures were unconstitutional, but the idea of retroactively criminalizing behavior, which was not criminal at the time it was conducted, which would have been the donations to a federally incorporated registered not-for-profit. I mean, the idea to retroactively criminalize anyone who donated to what the government recognized and, and certified as a not-for-profit would have been over the top, and it would have violated another provision of our charter, Section 11G, which says you can only be convicted of a crime if, at the time of the act or omission, it was illegal. So I was never quite as concerned about that, uh, but I understand that people were, and that people were making a run on the banks. I've been told. I just had no definitive evidence you know i i never had the bank say you can't take out money but i've heard mm -hmm. people say it. but yeah it's, it's it's it instills terror in the citizens which might have been the goal but it destabilizes the financial and economic system itself on a national and international level who's going to want to do business with canadian banks going forward they can freeze oh. your account they can ask for information on your clients Who's going to want to do business with Canada? I mean, well, very Steele. much on this point, David, very yeah. much on this point. Robin still says, can you can you explain the exact damage these bank freezing banks, freezing accounts, et cetera, caused to Canada relative to the international community? You alluded to it earlier, but I think a lot of us who are not you know, fully into the law of this and also the financial relations between banks in different countries, what will be the impact 
uh, for Canada and the Canadian financial system out of everything that's happened? I mean, it's, it's tough to measure, but if you're a business person looking to do business in Canada and you might be conservatively aligned, you might be the MyPillow guy, are you going to want to open up a bank account and do business in Canada now? Uh, is, is any foreign country going to look at Canada like a beacon of democracy or are they going to look at it as a as a, an, a symbol of the same tyranny you'd see in North Korea? Nobody's running to invest in North Korea because when the government can just usurp your assets with no court order, no nothing, mm. and then immunize the federally regulated institutions for their conduct, who in their right mind would do that? So the, the, the damage is, uh, it's, it's immeasurable, but it's also intangible, but it's very real. And it's why I think there has to be very serious political blowback for this because this precedent needs to be struck down and shun upon going forward. Otherwise, it's good that Trudeau did it and didn't get away with it. But if the rest of Canadian politicians say it's, it's something we're prepared to accept, well, Canada can enjoy being relegated to a second tier nation when it comes to stability for financial investments and business going forward, setting aside the whole constitution side things. Have you got a question? Ray? No, because I can, I can yeah, do another one yeah. quickly. So, uh, by the way, a lot of love for you in the mm -hmm. chat and in the messages. There was one person who said I was full of shit, and I, I, I genuinely want to know what I said. I need evidence, not accusation. So, if I yeah, if but I'm unless he sends us money, we're not reading out his fucking question. <laughs> 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 I'm kidding. No, uh, we always love people to challenge what we are saying or the guests are saying. So, if people want to. Uh, push back against things that are being said and send us a message. We'll happily read that out. But uh, what I was saying was there's also a lot of support. Somebody says you should be appointed to the Canadian Senate. Mm. Uh, the, the question that uh, I think worries all of us as creators online, people who cover this stuff and who, who sometimes take a heterodox view of things, uh, this was from Homemade Creative, who sent us some money on PayPal. It says, do you expect Trudeau's government to try to crack down on disinformation by working with big tech to shut down dissent, i.e. your live streams on YouTube? No, well, the, the, I, I still believe in the Streisand effect. So, you know, good good luck doing something that's so egregious that there's a sufficient mm. network of lawyers out there who would fight it legally, uh, influencers who would fight it on social media. Mm. They're trying to do it in a more insidious way. And it's we've been talking about it. It's either Bill C-10 or C... It's one of these bills. I, forget, I think it's C-10, which was to regulate the internet under the Broadcast Act and to regulate the internet the way the government currently regulates television and radio. And so there was this move to put forward this bill. Chat can correct me. I think it's Bill C-10, but it was to treat online platforms, if they're sufficiently broadcast-ish, to treat them like broadcasters under the Broadcast Act and mm. to create all these, 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 these onerous government uh, obligations in terms of content, uh, being Canadian, you know, fines, yada, yada. They wanted to do that. And that law, um, that that draft, or the, the, what is it called? The bill made it past the House of Commons, which is liberal and NDP, always looking for another way to control and, and censor. Uh, and it, 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 there was an election and it didn't make it past the Senate. But that's the way they're going to go about doing it. They're not going to go down like, uh, you know, hammer bands and whatever. First of all, I respect the rules on YouTube. I respect the law. People don't like the fact that I respect the law so much. When I went to the protest, I wasn't looking to get into trouble. I made sure to get on video every police officer that I asked if I'm allowed to go here, because if I'm not, I'm not going to fight and I'm not going to sneak in. Uh, when it comes to YouTube, I know the rules. I sometimes don't agree with the rules, but I respect them. So if they want to, if they want to try to pick that fight, uh, I think the, I've, I've laid the groundwork for a, a solid opposition legally and uh, influentially. Uh, influentially? I don't know if that's a word. 
But um, no, they're trying. They're just trying through the legislative process. Come down with hate speech laws. So honk, honk, ban it. Shut down the channel because it, it violates YouTube's terms of service for hate speech because Hong Kong is now hate speech in Canada. Um, regulate channels of a sufficient size, call them broadcasters, and impose these onerous obligations to stifle their popularity, which is merit-based, in order to try to push it back to the legacy media, which is government-induced. Uh, so there's, there's always the concern. We've hedged our bets a lot. We're on Locals, Robert Barnes and I, vivabarneslaw.locals.com. I'm on Rumble as well, and Rumble is the up-and-coming competitor, free speech competitor of YouTube, which is why the legacy media in Canada is going after them so hard. But uh, look, there's the fear. There's the David Mamet expression, every fear hides a wish, because you know, let, the, let them try to do it. It'll only make the problem worse. Uh, and then also Donald Trump expression, hope for the best, plan for the worst, so hedge your bets. Don't put it all in one basket. And on that note, Ali Snyder, who is a fantastic supporter of trigonometry, shout out to Ali, uh, goes, what gives you hope for the future of Canada? And would you consider running for office again? Again, I'm not sure. Uh, and I'll tell you why I'm not sure. I, at one point when I was naive enough to think that I could actually win, the night of the election, I was like, holy crap, if I actually win, I have to stop doing what I'm doing now. I have to go become a, a, a useless wheel in the rusted machine of government where I'm going like, to do my best to spin and no, nothing's going to happen. Uh, it's, it's what I disliked about the practice of law is it's paper pushing. It's a lot of stuff that doesn't ultimately get anywhere and doesn't actually ultimately change anything. And, you know, Pierre Poilievre, for all his great speeches, Conservative Party's done nothing to, to attenuate the, the, the regression of Canada. So I was actually, the night of, I was like, what if I, what if I, I might actually win and everything I love doing, I can no longer do. I think I can be more impactful from the outside. Uh, and so I'm, I'm, I might not run again, but we'll see. Never say never. And I have to see where I am in the future in any event. And hope for Canada. Um, that's a tough one because I, I get very, dis I, I feel a lot of despair sometimes seeing good, intelligent people say, we want this. Listening to daytime radio, ostensibly saying, we want this. People calling in saying, I'm going to feel unsafe if they don't have vaccine passports at restaurants. Uh, I don't want to take the masks off. Everybody's selfish. When I have people threatening to, you know, dox and, 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 and harass people who donated to this convoy because some people don't like this charity, I don't have much hope for Canada or, um, I won't say the future at large, but I, I, I get concerned. What I think is inspiring in all of this, I get a lot of private messages. I have a lot of one-on-one -on -one conversations with people who have had enough and who see it going in a way that even they don't like. Sure, it took two and a half years to get here, but the pendulum swings. It, it does swing. And mm. you know there, there is the old expression, you can vote yourself into tyranny, but you have to fight yourself out of it. We, that, that's why I think we're not yet beyond the point of swinging back. And it will swing back in my mind. It's just a question of how long, at what cost, and, you know, will it, will it swing far enough back? Will it swing too far back? Will you have the same problems on the other end? But uh. pe people are starting to get fed up with it and people are starting to awaken to it. This trucker convoy has awakened a lot of people who really did not appreciate how much and the degree to which the media lies. So there's that. And ultimately, it was the most peaceful human rights movement protest in a long time. People saw it. People got inspired by it. So that itself should be inspir uh, inspirational.
David, that is such a great message to to wrap up on. We've had lots of brilliant questions. We couldn't quite squeeze all of them in. Uh, but we do have the question that we always ask all of our guests. And you, David, haven't had advance warning of this. So uh, let's see what you say to this, which is what is the one thing we're not talking about as a society? And it can be absolutely anything. It doesn't have to, do, uh, have to be related to what we've talked about today. What is the one thing we're not talking about that we really should be? We might, okay, I like it. And by the way, just so everyone knows, I never ask for questions before doing interviews because I th I like it to be fresh mm -hmm. and I think it's disingenuous. But um, the one thing we're not talking about or possibly not talking about enough is parental rights. I and mean, we're sort of talking about it in Canada, but a lot of stuff is slipping under the radar. It, it's, it's, a, it's an offshoot of what happens when the government tells you they can lock you in your house. They ultimately come in and tell you what you can do with your kids and what you have to do with your kids. And the government comes in and thinks, in as much as they thought they were the parents of every Canadian over the last two years, when Justin Trudeau says, we've got your backs, we're there to help you. When the government thinks they are the parents of adult citizens, voting citizens, when they start thinking that they are the actual parent of the children of those adult citizens, you start getting into very, very, very dangerous territory. And in Quebec, they're talking about um, revoking effectively what's known as parental, uh, the supremacy of parental authority. Basically, that parents decide what's best for their kids and not the government. And we've seen this envelope being pushed in COVID, where you have Trudeau appealing to and reaching out to kids directly. You have government messaging saying kids can go get medical interventions without even having to run it by their parents. That's what I think people need to start talking about, because once the government thinks they know what's best for kids above and beyond the parents, saving aside obvious examples of abuse and objective examples of abuse, once that happens, and once parents no longer, um, I was going to say own it, once parents no longer have the absolute authority over the essential decision-making for their children, that's, uh, that's a line that you can't come back from. So I think people need to be talking about that more in Quebec. I don't know if the law was actually passed or the amendment, which basically now no longer recognizes the supremacy of parental authority, but it's a, we've, we've been pushing the envelope as to uh, the government taking over parental responsibilities for kids. I appreciate the government has to protect against abuse and the government has to ensure certain basic needs and necessities are met. But, um, oh, what was I going to say? I forgot, I forgot the quote that I had. But, but, but yeah, we, I think we all hear what you're saying, which is, and look, this is a big part of the conversation more broadly about this whole woke uh, agenda, which is, are your kids being brainwashed from the age of five by the education system? And do you have a right to go in and find out what's going on? What are they being taught? Do you have a voice in America? There's obviously been a lot of pushback against that. I think you're absolutely right uh, to raise that as an issue because, you know, my wife is, we're about to have our first child, as I said, and you know, that's a, that's probably my biggest concern uh, behind World War Three kicking off uh, where I'm from. Uh, no, no, it's 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 the, uh, the the indoctrination is I mean, it's one thing that uh, mm. so long as you have discussions with your kids and you know what's going on, you can have yeah. those discussions. But when they start, you know, when you see family law courts taking kids away from parents because mm. the parents didn't do what the court says they have to do in terms of medical intervention, when yeah. the when, when that's when it really starts getting dangerously and scarily Orwellian. But uh, no, I, I think that the discussion as to parental rights being virtually absolute. Oh, what I was going to say was the, the government is the necessary evil, but you need as little of it as possible. So, you know, the government should be there to protect kids from outright abuse. But when it gets into the gray zone of parenting, as I say, if the government thinks that they have the black and the white answers, that Trump gray zone parenting, well, the government is never going to own my kids.
period. Mm. By the way, uh, sorry, I've been hogging the mic a little bit, but since we've we've you've given us some of your time, just one more question for my own indulgence, which is the Second Amendment. A lot of people talk in America about how the guarantee of freedom is the Second Amendment. And if if only, you know, the UK mm. had had the Second Amendment or Germany had a Second Amendment or Austria, Australia, New Zealand, Italy, France, the, the, all of these countries that have implemented uh, these draconian rules at one point or another, the government would have been afraid to, to cross these boundaries. But you guys, you have guns in Canada. You have private gun ownership, right? Mm. No, gun ownership uh, in Canada is excessively difficult to obtain, and unlicensed firearms are only long arms, so hunting rifles, because right. basically in Canada, you, there's no Second Amendment. It's you can own it for hunting, and pretty much only for hunting, for target practice, or for sport, uh, not for, not for self-defense and not for home defense. And mm. small arms, you have to have a special license for, which are like pistols. Uh, it's called, uh, well, there's, a, there's a specific license for small arms, which are restricted <clears throat> firearms. Uh, so we know we have no no effective Second Amendment in Canada, and you see the you see the net coming down on that also during the pandemic. Justin Trudeau passed what's called an order in council, which is no legislative process, no debate. It's in the regulation itself to ban, you know, thousands of types of assault rifle firearms. Uh, you, you see that net coming down too, and that that's another interesting progression of my life. Is, uh, I, people say it, you know, America is what it is because of the Second Amendment and the and the government. But for the Second Amendment, would have done exactly what Australia did. You never know. You you, you can't really tell. Um, but I have I have grown to appreciate the arguments for Second Amendment rights, uh, especially when you see in Canada that you can't even own firearms for home defense. Uh, it's it's a, it's a bizarre thing where the government strips you of your ability to protect yourself, criminalizes your ability to protect yourself, and then you know takes political sides. You, you can see how things can go south very quickly. But no, if anyone thinks in Canada we have Second Amendment, anything like the U.S., absolutely not. I took the firearm safety course for the long arms. It's You have to take a two-day course. Uh, you have to pass a test. If you want to acquire one, you got to get permission from your spouse. You have to have a background check. It takes months. And that's just for an unrestricted hunting rifle. For the, for the smaller arms, it's a, it's a totally separate beast. David, it's been an absolute pleasure. The, the hour and a half or so has completely flown by. What a joy. Um, if people want to find you online, if people want to discover your work, where would be the best place to do that? So YouTube and Rumble, I'm under Viva Fry. Twitter, I'm the Viva Fry. That's the only one that has the V in front of it. And then I'm on, I'm on Getter, Viva Fry. If you want, I, I have that thing with Barnes where we're on this. Uh, Robert Barnes is an American lawyer. We do weekly live streams and weekly uh, interviews with a guest. That's on vivabarnslaw.locals.com. That's our sort of Facebook page behind a paywall, but there's a lot of stuff that's open for all supporters, not just paid supporters, but that's a place for great exclusive content and discussion that we can't have on, on the YouTubes. But it's basically, Viva Fry, you'll find me everywhere, uh, YouTube and Rumble. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for joining us, David, and thank you all for watching and listening. We will see you very soon with another brilliant conversation like this one or Raw Show. The next one is tonight. All of them go out at 7 p.m. UK time. And for those of you who like your trigonometry on the go, it's also available as a podcast. Take care. Thanks for joining. Thanks for commenting. And we'll see you very soon, guys.